Welcome to the Barnes FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to an interview with Nathan Mooney, Senate candidate for the state of Missouri. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Thursday, August 18th in the year 2022. Obviously, our world keeps spinning and spinning and seems to be falling each and every day a little bit more. All sorts of crazy news as normal. Tonight, we're going to have a very interesting conversation with Nathan Mooney, who is approaching the elections in Missouri for for this position of Senate as a write-in candidate. So, on top of that, he's a B-dad, part of Bard's Nation, so it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. Before we begin, Patriots, make sure you're taking good control of your wealth. The hard-earned capital is easy to lose in this climate, and that's the last thing you need, especially when you've got the criminal cabal running the system. Inflation is real. The CPI is at another 40-year high hitting 9.2%, and real inflation on daily goods, bread, milk, meat, gas for your car, even rents, are at over 30%. The recession is real. If all your money is in the market or tied up in U.S. dollars, you're messing with fire. It's critical for you to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver. That's where the professionals at Birch Gold come in. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get a free information kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, gold is the right investment to make now. Text BARDS to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with gold. And that's text BARDS to 989898, and you'll get your free packet, and you will not be dissatisfied. These are great people at Birch Gold. All right, Patriots, before we begin, a couple of things, and just to highlight the insanity that we're in. Obviously, the economy is continuing to pancake under this administration. They literally have no plan. The New York governor is in vapor lock because he's having illegals flood his city, which I guess they figured that it would always be red states and they wouldn't have to worry about it. Now that they have to confront their own issues, accountability strikes, and they literally don't know what to do. And then here's a headline, double-vaxxed New Zealanders seven times sicker this year than pre-COVID 2019. Well, of course, their immune systems have been destroyed by this thing. So with all that said, we obviously need change in our leadership. And this is the real challenge of how do we get that right type of change. Now, we know the system is rigged. We know that the machines are rigged. And there doesn't seem to be much action to replace those. 
probably because those that are involved in the current positions don't want them to go away because it ensures their longevity. But Nathan Mooney is trying something different. He's going to try to run as a write-in candidate. I don't, I, you've heard me talk about this before. I have no idea if it can beat the algorithms, but I think it's got the most probability of it. And it's really gets back to the fundamentals of how we should run anyway in, in this country. Now, I've enjoyed this conversation with Nathan, and I think you will too. And part of it is there's no political polish here. He's just a normal guy. And he's got an idea, and he's, he's trying to do it out of his own pocket and avoid the temptations of big donations. So I think you'll enjoy this interview. It's a good conversation overall, and I think it's a good insight as to the type of people we start need to start seeking. Men of God, men that are willing to step up, not to try to game the system, and just honest from their heart. So with that, let me introduce Nathan Mooney. Patriots, I'm really honored today to have Nathan Mooney on the show Nathan is running as a write-in candidate in Missouri, which is a really unique approach to this election process in, in, in trying to stay away from the party system. And again, what we'll talk about here today is a kind of how to bypass or potentially bypass the algorithm trip-ups. And we'll find out more about that as we discuss this. Nathan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing well, Scott. How are you doing today? Good. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been actively educating myself on the history of our party system, Constitution, the founding fathers, how they built up the Constitution to be a benefit for America. And over the years, you start seeing how it's been corrupted. When we came down to everything that has been happening lately, I felt the call that this was my time to go. Um, my time to put myself up there, stick my neck out, and try to make a, a change for other patriots. Um, as far as my background, I have an education in wildlife science, so I'm more of a, a wildlife technician and biologist. Um, I have a small criminal justice background and an associate level degree, and I try to look at myself as a generalist. I tackle things to where I try to things together instead of being so focused on one aspect of anything to blindside myself to the things happening around me. And that has come in great value um, when it comes to connecting dots around the country. So your approach then in this campaign is different than most because you're going to run for U.S. Senate, but you're not going to run as an official candidate on the ballot. Let's talk a little bit about that. That is correct. So I'm taking the writing candidate approach. I know it's a underdog story, but... When I was involved with a small group starting to investigate the election system, all of our machines, um, after the 2020 election especially, you start seeing the algorithms that are being put in place, the uh, the EAC not doing their, their part of it. And then we started realizing when we were investigating the Mark Zuckerberg donations to the states, um, we found out that none of our machines were even officially certified according to the Habit Act. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody knows of Allie Graff, but she's been spearheading that campaign in the St. Louis region here in Missouri, where we came to all of our state representatives, our AG, our, our Secretary of State, John Ashcroft, 
they gave them this information, and although it was completely correct, they refused to act on it. They understood that none of our machines have been officially certified according to And the fact that they're not doing anything about it kind of makes you wonder who's involved, what do they know, and what can we do to help fix this? So what's the approach then? And with you looking at this, this is kind of a big headwater you face with the challenges ahead and the algorithms and the machines. Talk about your approach to this. So my approach is to start educating people mostly, using my platform as a way to reach people. Um, I want to make them aware of the things that are going on that might not be mentioned in the mainstream news. There's so many independent out there who are giving us information on COVID, on the on the election rigging, on different aspects of uh, the government that are being manipulated, on um, stock market things. It's just the the avenues that people are not seeing because they're only so focused on their daily lives and mainstream news. It's kind of horrendous, and I'm hoping they use this platform to reach those people. Um, they'll see me running as a U.S. tour, and they want to see who I am. And when they go to my page, uh, I want to introduce them to the things going on, like that's their involvement on a lot of things that um, are, are absolutely horrible. And not everybody in these organizations are corrupt, but the overall top hierarchy has just been so damaged. And people need to wake up to that so we can start working on the community community level. And uh, I want to focus my campaign on driving that story, start communicating with your neighbors, start building a small community, start working towards getting a financial system that's about to collapse, growing gardens. I listen to your show regularly, and you have a lot of information that people would do well to listen to. And I'm hoping to bring that to the table as a candidate. So are you doing any sort of rallies, town hall meetings? I mean, this is a, which you're, when you're talking grassroots, the way you're talking about, you're talking about as a write-in candidate, if I'm correct. Yep. And then, and then with that, you're trying to get people to just listen to your message and choose you as an option that isn't within the main party system. So what's that process to get to the people? My biggest thing right now is I'm a, I'm a regular blue collar citizen. I work a full-time job and I try to go home on the weekends to take care of my family on the farm. So going around the state, I don't have the kind of pockets that these people who are running on the Republican ticket have. And I refuse to take donations from anybody. I don't believe that running um, this day and age, you need millions of dollars. And to me, it's a waste to spend all that money on signs and to have all these rallies where it could be focused on the local community. I want people to listen to my message. They believe in what I have to say. It only takes a few minutes to pass on my information, my Telegram page, and then that money you would have donated and put it back into your community. Find teachers who need a way to get out of the public school system. Give them payment grants or some scholarship money to help teach homeschoolers at home who might want to do a co-op. Start putting a garden in your local um, elderly person's home. Like If they want to have a yard that has gardens in it, but they can't do the work themselves. Why not donate your time instead of donating money to a politician? That's what I'm focused on. So I can't do a lot of rallies. I can't go around the state doing big events, but we have the technology to where I can talk to people in this fashion, podcasts. Uh, I do go to some local meetings that I see people are posting on Telegram. And whenever I can travel, I will travel. If somebody invites me on, I will travel to go there. So that's what I'm shooting for. 
So talk a little bit about the specifics of your platform. Let's talk about where you see you stand out differently than under other candidates and what's putting you in that place that people want to vote for you. Well, where to begin is kind of hard. Um, you try to bring up all these issues of um, the unconstitutionality of the COVID vaccines, the injections, the mask mandates, the, uh, the things that are dealing with income tax. I believe income tax is a form of slavery. Tax is another form of slavery. You never own your property. So I'm running and trying to put myself out there as one of the only candidates who is really truly trying to be a, a constitutional candidate. I don't care if somebody wants me to do something. If it's against the oath of office, I will not do it. I cannot be bought off. I don't, money does not rule my life. I, I do not have any major connections in politics right now, so I'm not embedded in the system. And if anybody tries to attack me with um, personally, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm a Christian. I don't fear what I'm getting into. I'm doing what I feel called. And if people agree with me and they feel like I am a worthy candidate, they will vote for me. If not, they'll vote for someone else. Are you trying to get to a place where you're educating people to a new way of voting? Or are you trying to get to be a place where you're running as a candidate to win? I think that's a distinct difference. I'm running to the best of my ability to win so that way I can make change. I understand the system I am going up against. So I don't have any big ideals of um, going in there and telling people, getting their hopes up that I'm going to win. I don't know that. If it's God's will, then I will win. If it's not his will, then I will not. All I can do is the best that I can. And if I educate people along the way of happening, then I've won something. It's a long-term battle. This is not a race that is a sprint. This is a marathon, in my opinion. And to be able to get into that position where I can start affecting change and bringing us back to that constitutional basis, I think now people are starting to understand that that is needed. We have to start looking deeper into the corruption within our state governments, within our federal governments, and start communicating with our sheriffs more. And that's what I'm hoping to do now that my my current job is ending. I'm moving back to the home hometown. I can start actively getting involved with my local sheriffs. There are a lot of things that have been coming out lately, like the raid on the Mar-a-Lago. I want to find out what the constitutionality of that was and how it can affect the state to get rid of this federal government overreach. And I'd like to work with fellow patriots that are doing the same thing. There's so many videos coming out like Stu Peters, that, that awful thing about the children. I mean, that's, that's happening every day. Our open borders, people need to be made aware of that. And I agree with this. If you are elected, what do you see your role becoming? A public servant through and through. I'm going into this knowing that I'm giving up six years of my life if I win to serve the people around me. And I don't want to stay in politics. I hate politics, actually. But nobody should go into politics wanting to be rich from it. Growing up, I used to have a fascination with how the Constitution was written. And I, I used to read the New Jersey State Constitution. And it said in there, if I'm not mistaken, that a senator would get paid $500 annually as a for your servitude. It really was going in there as a way to help serve the people around you, a public servant. 
there were no pensions. There were no benefits afterwards. There was no lifelong career in, in politics. That's what I'm trying to get people back into. I'm trying to spearhead that and really give an option that is a constitutional-based option. You you face a pretty strong headwater here because the, and I'm just being realistic, the getting into D.C. is expensive. We're living up there is expensive. The requirements of a senator are expensive. And so a grassroots campaign like this, it's not accepting donations and just working off your own dime. Is that something that you're prepared to do? As far as expenses, you mean moving over to, to um, D.C. to live? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's where, as a senator, you're required to live within the area. And the discussions you're, you're having here, I mean, they're interesting. And I, I don't disagree with the principle of trying to get back to a simpler way of running Congress. But unfortunately, we're kind of trapped in a system that defines entrance barriers by the amount of money that you have and how, and that's how you get through them. So this is where I'm kind of curious to understand where, how this all comes together. Well, as a believer that if God wanted me to do something and he puts me in a position, there will be options opened up. I'm not afraid to live in a small, small room, renting out a small apartment. Um, I will be getting a small, the, the senator position. I don't have to spend it on a big house. I have no wife, no kids. It's just myself. So finding a small room to rent is no problem for me. I've, I've lived on the road my whole life as a wildlife technician. I've lived in field houses where it's just a cabin in the woods sometimes. So I'm used to being uncomfortable. But my heart is into this to serve the people, and that's what I will do if I'm elected. There's a lot of blockades in my way. I understand that. And there's some people who might not think that I'm worth looking into just because I don't have money. But look what voting for money has given us so far. Look at what has voting for career politicians given us. People don't realize the long stream of history that even our own Missouri candidates have. Like Governor Parson, he was one of the key members in the uh, the state Senate when he was in the Senate. I think it was 2013 where he helped pass the Ag Bill that allowed China to buy our agricultural farmland in Tyson Meats and Smithfields. I think it was Senate Bill 9 and Senate Bill 346 or 342. And then afterwards, it seemed like he got a campaign donations to his PAC. So is he really a Missouri first person or is he looking to get Chinese bag money? I don't know. I, I'm not involved with these people enough to know all the details or everything. All I know is that it looks rotten. It likely is rotten. And I'm hoping to get in and do something about it. What's the objective then as the senator for Missouri? This is if you're really... As you're saying, you're coming from the people, which has me very intrigued. And we hear a lot of big promises from people because that's how politicians get elected. You're not making those, which I give you credit for a lot. So what's kind of the objective to represent Missouri? What does that look like as a senator to represent Missouri? Some of the things I would do is give back the power to the state as far as their their U.S. senators. I mean, I I believe it was the 17th Amendment with the 16th Amendment that allowed, it changed it from being a direct state legislative vote for your US, U.S. Senator to a direct vote by the people. And that took away all the power from the state legislators. And it allows the system to go in and pick whoever they want. I would like to return it back to the legislative vote, but also add in there, if possible, going through the legal means of the Constitution to allow these people to repeal 
a senator at a moment's notice. We've seen what's happened with Senator in this last few uh, months in office, how he had been voting on these things that had the red flag laws. That immediately was a violation of his oath of office. They should have had affidavits handed to the sheriff saying he violated his oath. We want him off now. And that should have been an, an avenue that they could take. But we don't know how to do this because it's been so convoluted over the generations that we don't have any way to, to hold them accountable anymore, it seems, because we've been trying to have affidavits against them for their violations, for administrations, We're trying to get um, Mr. Mandamus against some of them to do their jobs, and they're not doing it. We're pointing out constitutional amendments, such as the corporations putting the mass mandates. Missouri's Constitution, Article 11, Section 3, corporate, I'm paraphrasing this part, but corporations do not have the right to violate people's rights. You show that to your sheriff, they're supposed to go to these corporations and say, you're violating their rights, stop it. Nobody wanted to touch it. Where's the accountability for that? Our governor knew about all this stuff. We would call his office and tell him about the federal laws that they were breaking, the Nuremberg codes that they were breaking, the, the constitutional, both the U.S. and the Missouri state constitution that they were breaking, and nobody was doing anything. I want to give people avenue to hold these people accountable when they start violating their oath. I want to repeal the Income Tax Act. I want to repeal the Federal Reserve and the Act in the, in the, um, in the way that they're set up right now. Um, none of these administrations um, should have the authority to go and uh, arrest a person. That's the job of the law enforcement, the sheriffs. I don't, this whole thing with the bill that gave them eight, 87,000 new employees, 4,000 guns, and 5 million rounds of ammunition when I saw Where is that even right? They're not law enforcement. So I'm hoping to repeal, I'm going in there hoping to repeal a lot of things that have been done to our constitution that are illegal such as the income tax. I'm hoping to give the states back the power to where they can withhold federal tax money from going to the federal government if they have clear violations of the constitution that they swear to uphold. So I'm going against the big system, yes, and I'm not afraid to do so. And I'm hoping that people also get a little courage in the heart, especially Christians. We'd have to fight back against this peacefully as best we can. And I'm doing everything I can in my power. So talk a little bit about that. What's that look like to fight for you as a Christian? For me as a Christian, just going into it, knowing that there are a lot of shady things in the background that I'm not aware of, being ready to admit that I don't know everything, but also being willing to learn as much as I can from the constituents, to learn what I can do to affect change. And a lot of these things that you talk about with investment firms, I don't believe investing in general is absolutely bad, but the system we have is absolutely Babylonian. Um, having these corporations being ruled BlackRock and all these slush funds, I believe that should go back to people being more responsible for their own investments, for their own um, retirements, get rid of these um, money managing firms and start going back to individual accounts where people will manage their own money and then are held accountable for the illegal activities or the corporation should be held accountable for the illegal activities. But those are certain things that I need to really have the time to, to delve into as my job. Like I said, right now as a blue collar worker, I'm like everybody else. We have so much time invested in trying to keep things that it's hard to focus on the details or everything. So I'm coming to the people as one of the people saying, I'm willing to put this on the line. I'm willing to give six years of my life to you if you decide that I am the person you want to vote for. 
And if not, then at least plan ahead. Start looking to your communities, communicating with your neighbors. And that's my message. So you have a farm as well, you said? I have a homestead. Yes, my two sisters are trying to run it and I go to their property and help as much as I can. And I'm hoping to help build that up to where they're self-sufficient. I'm dealing with the same stressors as everybody else. Um, lack of funds, um, issues involving moving that we had to move recently. And logistically, it's it's a nightmare, especially when you're working a couple hours away from your home base. But I love the field that I'm in. So I make the sacrifice of going back and helping my family whenever I can. So talk about the work that you're doing right now. As a wildlife technician, I am trying to pioneer the idea of hiring us as contract workers instead of having us as temporary employees. Um, being 33, I have a lot of experience traveling around the country and knowing that when you jump from job to job and they keep trying to hire you as a LTE or a W-2 employee, it does not help you in the long run because the way the tax system is set up right now and how the banks are set up right now, they don't look at that as steady income. So I'm trying to helpfully bring to light that if you start hiring us as contract workers for the season, we can stay in the field longer. You'll keep, you retain more um, experienced technicians to bring better data to the field and bring better data to the science. So that way, when people start doing these studies, it's not fraught with um, errors that could have been avoided just with a little more experience. Technicians, it's called technician shovel. People are expected to go into my field for two or three years take seasonal jobs around the state or around the country, and then find a permanent desk job or a biologist position working for the state or working for the uh, federal government. I want to change that avenue to where you start having more people get into this field as independent contractors. What exactly do you do in your job? So for my job, I, uh, I like to work seasonally. It's very diverse. You have many avenues you can go through. My personal avenue is taking a seasonal position at a, at a college or at a uh, state agency or even at a private land. I worked where I did a white-tailed deer coyote study one time. I got to sit up in a tree and dart white-tailed deer to do a study on their movements with their fawns and seeing how coyote interact with them. I worked for high fence ranches where I helped uh, hunting on the hunting season and help interact with people and see what the private landowners are trying to do to improve the property. And the passion they have for that. I've also worked for state agencies where I go out to a, a field study and collect the data for them. Um, current one is just doing um, prairie plots. I get to go out to these different areas and collect different species of plants and to make sure that they're there. That way we can help um, determine whether the management practices are, are working or not. That's what I'd like to do. I like to be out in the woods. I'm just a woodsman. In that field you're talking about, this is an area that I'm pretty familiar with, especially in Oregon, because the the way that data is often used is to shut down industry. We had the spotted owl issue. We've had other um, many other studies done to prevent logging or prevent mining. How do you see that role in the government and the role in industry, which are oft, often diametrically opposed and defining a role where we're creating a balance between nature and the need for resources. So that's a very complex issue. And I'm glad that um, I, I look at it two ways. You're dealing with private 
individuals and then you're dealing with corporations and businesses. So I believe that the private individual should have absolute authority on the property. That's why I believe in property rights 100%. I believe it's the role of the government to more be more advisory, to help do these studies, to give them the best information that they can possibly have and let them make their own choices. Now, with that responsibility of being a private landowner, you are a steward of your property. I believe that that's where the, the give and take is, that when you're managing a if you're doing things harmful for the environment or blatantly harmful for your neighbors, liability for those around you. But that's more of a civil issue. I don't believe these regulatory agencies have any right to go in and tell a person how they cannot do something here or there without really giving the private landowner the, the highest um, the highest standard of being responsible for their property. You know, the government should not be able to take a property from a person because they can't pay taxes on it. Now, when you come to corporations, um, that's a little different because, in my opinion, the Constitution originally had it set up, or at least the, the information I read when I was a kid, that they had were only allowed to be in charter for so long, believe that they are should be in, able to have a corporation indefinitely. Um, I think it was originally meant to come together if you're doing something good for the community and the community gets to vote if you get to continue your charter. Um, after so many years, if you were not proving you were good for the community, um, they could take that away and end your charter. So there's a very complex issue that I'd like to delve into, but my stance is government should be more advisory, not authoritarianism, not tyranny, and just educate the landowner as to why they suggest doing things a certain way and let them decide for themselves how they're going to manage or their land. So are you advocating for individual rights or are you advocating for state rights in this process? Individual rights and then state rights when it comes to the um, management of their own state, how the Constitution was originally written. So here's one of the conundrums, and I ran into this with an outstanding engagement I had with an environmentalist up in Montana. And you can go along the line and you can see like one really well-tended property and then you see one is just junk and in this particular case, this particular property was just literally laden with junk and wreckage and with a, a big cross up front of their property. And so the question to, that was posed to me was, if you're wanting individual rights, are you advocating for a person to be able to completely destroy and mar the land, or do you agree with having regulations that require minimum maintenance of the land? And this is where we get into the individual rights versus states' rights issue. Where do you stand on that? So that is a good, complex issue that I was also thinking about myself. Should a person have absolute authority over the property? But when I mentioned that the liability comes from being responsible for damages you do. You say that I, I, I love seeing a person who manages the land properly and makes it look nice and presentable it, it, to that property. And then I drive by places, like you said, that are junkyards. And it's really hard to really feel like they have no repercussions for that. But when you start looking at it as a responsibility for the damages you're doing, if they're doing things that are causing damage to their neighbor, they're doing damage to the, the, the water systems, then they should be held responsible for that damage civilly, liability-wise. But at the same time, states do have some, some role 
in helping landowners, I believe, function as a community. We live in a society. We're not just everybody for themselves. And that, I believe, was the back and forth tug that the Constitution was originally set up as to where we constantly debated these issues. And wherever at the time it felt like it was the best avenue to take, we would be able to use that, that, that avenue. So it's hard to say one way or the other. I am, I am, I am somebody who absolutely loves the thought of having complete control of your property. I'm also somebody who believes that you have a role in the community. So that's an issue I'll have to delve into and really think about philosophically and talk to experts about it and make sure that it doesn't violate my oath. Well, what we're dealing with here is personal accountability and responsibility, and that's at the center point of sovereignty and, and freedom, or actually liberty. So this is, again, to you, where does that line as a senator get drawn, and where do you see that role in trying to shift that paradigm? Because right now, we become a, grand, a, a nanny state. And we have become a place where people themselves seek the government to solve their problems that they themselves don't want to be engaged with or take responsibility for. So where's that role is, is where is your role then as a U.S. Senator to mature the audience and to mature the perspective on what it is to be a citizen and a sovereign person of liberty in the constitution. So to the best of my knowledge at this time, I know there's a lot of things that I stand for as a person that under the U.S. Senate position, I have no active role in. So I'm going into it recognizing that my personal beliefs on some issues cannot take precedent over the constitutional oath that I'm taking. I believe that local issues should be kept within the community and within the state. They have to manage their own states according to what their best dictates are and according to the Constitution. They had the most accountability to the constituents. The federal government was only meant to be there to manage the overall defense of the nation and to work together with trades and things of that sort. It wasn't meant to be a nanny system. So as a U.S. senator, I probably wouldn't have any role in it other than maybe helping bring funds to states to educate people. But as far as the enforcement aspect of it, that would be the state's issue and the local community and the sheriff's. And this is one of the complex issues that we face in this nation, and it's getting back to being centered on living free in a true sense and what the requirements are and not being reliant on a large, expansive federal government, which most people know, and it's the only thing they know. So that also says that communities by nature can be different from county by county and more in the sense of being intentional communities by design of the intent and way people want to live. So that creates a big challenge for the states and especially the federal government that likes to have everything in a single package and everything follow a unified set of rules. Mm -hmm. When we get back to the more origin base of the constitution, especially in a lot of what you'll see a lot of this debate in the, in the federalist papers, it is the idea that there were 13 colonies, 13 states that could each have a different direction and orientation towards what it is to be in America and what and where that federal government's role comes in is to try to basically manage carefully the differences to allow uniqueness and sovereignty in the states 
and not be overburdensome. So that leads to always the question of where is that line between the state's rights, the federal rights, and then where does the federal intervene into the state to make sure that it's equitable to its citizens and not being a tyrannical state outside of the purview or limits of the Constitution. Again, so we deviate back to your positions on this as someone going seeking to be in the Senate. So I believe that's an accurate assessment of the role of the federal government versus the state. If a state becomes corrupted and you start seeing them no longer enforcing the laws that they themselves have in the books and they start violating their own constituents, constitutionally protected rights, like the Second Amendment, New Jersey, I believe, is horrible when it comes to the Second Amendment. That should have been the federal government's role to say, no, you cannot do this because this is the constitutionally guaranteed right that they have. You can manage how you want them to um, operate within that system, but you can't deny them those rights. You can't deny them the right to bear arms. And living around the country, I've really seen the best of things and the worst of things in some states when it comes to the Second Amendment in particular. I believe that when you get to those types of issues, the federal government does have some coming in to tell the officials you're doing wrong, you're breaking your own oath you have to stop. But then you have this reverse of that where the federal government nowadays have been trying to violate those same constitutional issues. And that's where the power of the state has to say, no, we will not enforce that federal law because it's unconstitutional. You promised us through your oath that you will not do this and you're doing it anyway. So I, I have an interesting outlook on the second amendment. And I think a lot of people actually kind of miss the other portion of that where it talks about the well-regulated militia being necessary for the security for free state. See, I believe that they did have some intention for the everyday citizen to be called to arms in a moment's notice whenever things were going bad and could be used to defend the state versus usurpers and through tyrants trying to come in. I believe the sheriff should have an active role of training their local community to be armed with with firearms and knowledgeable of the constitution, and knowledgeable of the history of the constitution and why things were put into place the way they were because you see a lot of people quoting the constitution today but they're able to twist things around to make it seem like it's meant for one thing and then you go back and read the original letters back and forth from the founding fathers and you notice that they were talking about something totally different i want to educate people so as a federal u.s senator I would like to make the law that states have to re, revamp their local militias, county by county. And those militias, in my opinion, should also have the power to work with the sheriff. And through affidavits, if they've noticed violations of their oaths of their state officials, violations of oaths of the county officials, such as the mask mandates, to go with the sheriff and say, you have violated your oath of office. That was your promise to us. And now we are removing you from office peacefully if you are willing to go peacefully. They do not, they should not have any right to judge that case, but if they feel it is in the best of the community, that those community leaders or the politicians in charge are violating their oaths, they should have immediate remedy to that. And then let the case be judged according to the facts of the law. I'm big on mens rea and actus rea. It doesn't just take a guilty act, but also a guilty mind to have criminal intent. Somebody can do something wrong in the books, but it not violate any of the natural laws. So is it really a good law? 
Now, somebody could also be incompetent and not know what they're doing. Should they be judged the same as somebody who has full awareness of their faculties, knows exactly what they're doing and that, that it's wrong? And that's a big thing that I'm trying to make awareness to as well. The, the Second Amendment was not just meant for people to go around hunting like we always talk about. It's for them to keep the government accountable. And I make a clear avenue for that to take place when the officials are becoming tyrants. How great would it have been if our politicians were violating these oaths of office? And there's a lot of election fraud um, evidence. And they say, based upon the evidence we've seen, here's an affidavit by many people of the community showing that we've noticed this evidence. You have violated your oath. We are removing you until somebody can be elected to that position. Don't doubt that the COVID issue exposed a lot of this in its extreme. And it's, I think it's fairly easy to point to that in that environment. I think the challenge that we have when we get into oath violations gets to education and what you've already mentioned, which was, was it a good law? So where in that place, when a person is not well-educated on the Constitution and a, and a law is poorly drafted, people are simply following sequence of events, their understanding of the Constitution and implementation or enforcement of the law, where is their personal accountability in that? As far as who? The person who wrote the law or the people who broke the law? We're dealing with, a, in your example, you're dealing with a, a public servant, a person who's been voted into office. Yes. If they don't have a substantial understanding of the Constitution, which itself is almost a life study. Yes. And if they are, if they are enforcing a law, that is on the books, where is their personal accountability in the violation of the Constitution if it's a bad law and they don't have a good understanding of the Constitution? Well, that's where the first step of making them aware of the constitutional violation and the history behind it would come into effect. And that's why I mentioned Ray and Actus Ray. I have a criminal justice background, just enough to understand the fundamentals of it. So they don't know that they're violating their oath because they didn't read it. Well, first of all, that was a bad choice on their part to go into office, take an oath of a, of a constitutional oath and not know they were making the oath too. That's their fault. So they might have to lose that position to begin with unless the people can say, hey, you didn't know, we're making you aware of this. If you continue in these actions, you will be removed. And as far as the case, that's, there's a difference between the civil liability and the criminal liability. If somebody breaks a law, um, they might not have all the components there to try them criminally. They just don't have enough. It has a higher standards of um, guilt that has to be proven before you can try somebody criminally. And if I'm not mistaken, the quote, I think Benjamin Franklin even said 100 guilty people go, then imprison one innocent person. I'm of the same mindset. You might know somebody's guilty, but if you can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt to where the the jury says, yes, you're guilty. I would rather let that person go. And they could still be charged civilly for their for the damages they've caused. But, but I think we need as well where the jury understands their role in things. That can also be reversed where these illegal laws that were put in place for the constitutional carries and or for the, um, the firearms or for the mask mandates, where somebody's breaking a mask mandate and they get sent to prison. The January 6th thing going on, that's horrible. They should have a jury trial where the jury says, yeah, you might have stepped in the con the, to the grounds, but you're not violating some felony or you're not, you don't have the mindset to do damages that 
their law was originally written for, not guilty, and they should be free to go. It protects the individual from the overbearingness of the state, or from the overbearingness of the federal government. But a lot of juries don't know that power anymore. They can have all the evidence there saying a person broke that law, but if they know it's an unconstitutional law to begin with, they have the power to say not guilty. Where does the role of enforcement of the First Amendment or modifications to, if it had to be made, come in when it comes to our mainstream media intentionally lying to the public or twisting truth? Because by definition, that is freedom of speech. I like how your previous guest, um, I think it's Jerome Davis, who was mentioning that they have to get rid of some of the, the laws that are protecting them from blatant violation or blatantly lying and damages that they're causing by blatantly lying. If they know that they are suppressing the truth and is causing these issues to arise because of the um, criminal elements allowed to keep going, say for like the, the Trump hoax, the Russia hoax, and all these impeachment things, they're intentionally lying or doing things that will cause harm. They should be fully accountable for that. They should not have the protection of the First Amendment if they are knowingly causing somebody harm through their speech for, with lies. That's libel. They made a bar of proving libel so high for the simple side of it that there's they've gotten away with so much. They continue to get away with so much. So yeah, it has to be a re, rewriting of that law or re, um, an addressing of that issue to where you have the ability to speak freely, especially when it's based on truth. And if you're speaking about something like an Alex Jones case, he ad- he adamantly thought that he was teaching truth. And he's still being, he apologized for the, when he found out that he was doing wrong. Yeah, there's some issue with the liability on that end, but he had to speak that. He wasn't doing it out of malintent. He wasn't trying to persuade the company to vote one way or the other or to um, engage in some criminal activity. He was speaking upon the evidence that he saw. Why isn't he getting the same protection as Fox and CNN and all these other people who have been lying about the elections, who have been lying about the COVID numbers, about the um, various systems? It can't work one way and not the It can't have um, unequal justice. Well, I think what you're not hitting on is the, is the consequence of lying. Because there is a there is a viable consequence of libel when you lie in where it can have personal and devastating effects. The example of Alex Jones is that's a personal libel of people feeling that they were personally defamed, which gets into the whole uh, nefarious nutbaggery of our legal system. But when we're talking about media where they're intentionally lying and people are literally taking a shot that's causing them physical harm, that's culpability in a crime. It is. See, that would go into the discovery phase. I, I do not have the connections in those systems to know what they knew at the time, what they were being told at the time. If they were, if they actively thought they were telling the truth, then should they have the same standard of liability as somebody who knew that they were lying, knew that the information was false? And having deaths result from that, that's a criminal liability, right? That's why we had Nuremberg codes. So, for example, that these injections were obviously experimental. They were not, the people were not being told the truth, the effects they would have. 
They were not being told the truth about the laws that they were being protected by, that they didn't have to take this stuff. They were being coerced into taking these shots. And all along, the media was saying they were safe and effective. Well, the media was being told that they were safe and effective by the agencies that they had above them. Are they at the same culpability that if they knew if people were telling this is wrong, this is not scientific data. We have biologists, we have pathologists, we have who are coming out actively saying this is illegal. If they knew it, it was a time and they were still promoting it, that's a different standard of um, guilt there than somebody who was doing what they were told and didn't understand the consequences of it. So that's why I think it's important to not go into it as emotionally charged as we have been, but start looking for the whole discovery aspect of it. What do they know and what do they do? Men's ray and actus ray. So explain those two terms. Men's ray uh, is guilty mind and actus ray is a guilty act. So there has to be two elements to it. If I'm not mistaken, it's been a little while since I've had my classes on it. But the whole aspect was the person cannot be tried criminally if they were lacking one of those two elements. So in our media, they knew it was wrong and they still did it anyway. And death resulted of that. That was murder or they were participating in murder accomplices. If they didn't know, like this nurses who were being told to give this injection that was safe and effective, if they gave an injection based upon their superiors telling them it was safe, then yeah, there's some civil liability there. They were committing the act, but they didn't have the mindset behind it. So that's where you can go into the civil damages, not the criminal damages. So where can people find your site or find out more information about your campaign? If they would like to look at my campaign and the issues I stand on and the, the people that I follow so they get where I'm coming from in my information, um, they can go to Telegram and look t.me slash Mooney, which is M-O-O-N-E-Y for U.S. Senate and for is spelled out F-O-R-U-S Senate. And that's where you're having your ongoing discussion and debate. I'm willing to have discussions with people. I'd like to learn information of things I do not know, having new, having new facts brought to me or information of history of things is always something that I'm looking for. I'm seeking truth. I, I'm a seeker of truth. I'm not just somebody who wants to base my decisions on my own feelings all the time. It has to have some basis behind it. So I love to learn. I love to have people challenge me. Um, I want to share the information that I have so that way people can also gain some understanding of what's going on. Um, so my my Telegram page for my U.S. Senate run is probably not set up like a lot of other people's platforms. It's set up to where I can share information, share articles, and they can talk about it. They can ask me questions on my beliefs. I also have in there a PDF that outlines all my major stances and my feeling on it and why I feel that way. Well, I think you've got a lot to offer. And I think that people should definitely focus on a vote for you. Thank you, sir. For, the, for no other reason that you're offering a willingness to change and a willingness to challenge. And I think that's important. And I think that avoiding the big money game is essential. I agree with you on it. And I, I like the idea of a writing candidate as a potential victor because it's that is the true essence of what our election system should be and not just framed by the requirements of politics and the definitions that 
go with that and the various aspects of necessary massive campaigning. So I do wish you the best. We always close with a prayer, and if it's okay with you, we'll close with a prayer. Absolutely. Go ahead. Father, we just want to thank you for this time we've come together and just ask for the blessings of upon Nathan and his work to seek U.S. Senate. It's an uphill battle in many ways. It's an outlier possibility of even having a chance to win, and yet we know all things are possible. And it's also a, a real symbol of the approach to do this, Father, where people will literally take the time to consider a candidate to write their name and to cast their vote with their heart. So we just ask for the many to be able to seek and to find. We encourage and the encouragement for Nathan to continue to expand his reach and communicate with people and ask for him the blessings of whatever he will bring on this path to awaken people to the greater sense of faith and the importance of our and depth of our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You bet. Nathan, I really encourage you to continue with this. I think I, I would encourage you to try to get farther out into your reach than you're currently doing because I think you have something to offer here that's unique and you're not speaking the normal political rhetoric, which is refreshing. And you're also not going about it in the traditional way, which again is refreshing, but it is going to take some pretty heavy duty groundwork and you need to get at least volunteers. And I think there's plenty of people out there that would be willing to assist you. But I do think there's some of that traditional way of doing things that has to be looked at and not just cast aside. That's my personal opinion. You're right. And I do would hope that people start reaching out to the podcasters that they like to listen to because the more people that I can get on their, their podcast, the more reach I'll have. And I'm also open to invitations to town hall meetings. Well, I, again, I wish you the best and I hope things continue to go well, keep in touch and we'll do a follow up as we get closer to the election. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a blessed day, Nathan. Thank you for being on. Look forward to talking to you soon. God bless, man. And again, Patriots, that was Nathan Mooney. And I hope he does well. I think it's going to take some legwork and it's going to take some hard work. But I think he can do it. And I would be good just to see something happen to where they can get recognition on the fact that he's running on a write-in. I think there's a, it's a very interesting premise. And I don't know if it will work, but I definitely think it's worth trying. And he is. And that's good stuff. So, Patriots, that's it for tonight. Thank you for being here. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you this evening for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, 
defeatist belief, it leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 